So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Tai Kefu! Did he get it? That's the match winner! Welcome back to the Running Rugby podcast and the end of Super Rugby AU has hit it. It's finals time and only one more round in Super Rugby Aotearoa, but we know where we're heading for their one round of finals as well. Two weeks away from two finals overseas, but getting into this weekend, boys, starting over in New Zealand, it was just Damien McKenzie again. Like, this guy just does it every single week. And it's, he just, he can't be stopped. This week it was against the Hurricanes. Chiefs out early in the Hurricanes, climb their way back. But then 80th minute penalty, Damien McKenzie, 26-24. The Chiefs, five wins now. And looks like they're favourites to take on the Crusaders in two weeks. Yeah, they're looking strong. It's still, it's still very much a, a Damien McKenzie, like heavily featuring um, week to week in this team. But he's just pulling them together and pulling through another clutch kick right at the death and it's interesting there was um, um like following like a player tracking camera on him through the game and the moment when he's when the i think the penalty advantage was called back for the kick he's just turned around put his head in his hands like oh here we go again okay focus 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 this is me this is me now and it's just like yeah just ice in his veins kicks it arms straight up he knew he'd nailed it and, you know, versus the Geordie show, the Hurricanes who are one win so far this season. And it's just been all on the back of Geordie when he's had a big game. And he got them through when he had like a three, he scored a three-try um, haul in that one game they won. And then other than that, it's been, um, yeah, some close losses for them. So disappointing. They've got one more game to make right before the end of the season. Um, but another, like another clutch game for McKenzie and the Chiefs and, they're doing well without a few key players. So the big thing now facing the Chiefs is injuries. And that's what's been the problem for them last year. And obviously Sam Kane early in the season, Luke Jacobson already declared out. And now Kalen Boshier in this game and Carpick in training earlier this week. So they're loose forwards. They still have quite a few. They have a starting sort of back row there. With the you other Boshier and Peter Gusso cooler. Mitch, Mitch Brown. Mitch Brown is there as well. So... They've got a reasonable, reasonably formidable sort of pack, but it's just it's getting close to times where we start to panic um, if they're getting uh, too many more injuries, then they're not going to be able to quite compete. Sort of looking forward, and so they've they've returned to some veterans of they're getting um, Liam Messam, Liam Messam back into the squad um, as well as promoting some some rookies. So. Yeah, that's probably the biggest thing for the Chiefs going forward. They just need to not lose by a bonus point this weekend against the Blues to solidify their uh, their place in the Super Rugby RTRL final. Yeah, I was going to say, so that, that game's not a dead rubber at least. There's still something to it. The Blues can still, if everything goes right for them, they can get into the finals, which doesn't look likely to happen. I mean, they're very much a team that's on on the downslide at the moment, but I think they have enough talent there to surprise people. I just, 
think the Chiefs are probably going to be good enough to hold them out and, and not kind of squander that finals appearance. Well, the Blues, like, on the weekend, like, obviously they went down to the Crusaders 29-6. to six. The only thing that, only points they scored were two penalties off the boot of Otero Black. But it's amazing. You watch the game and I sort of thought that they seemed into it a lot, but it's just errors at the most crucial time for them. And so you go through like even the stats and they're like almost exactly the same between the Crusaders and the Blues, like in in terms of meters, carries, clean breaks, like offloads, like they're getting these opportunities, but then they just knock it on in the final pass or there's some sort of uh, lack of discipline that just turns it over. And it just means that suddenly you have a team that scored four tries versus a team that scored zero. Yeah, I think the... um... The, the difference when you watch the game versus like, yeah, the, the stats come up pretty similar, but you can just tell the blues aren't as crisp and aren't as um, precise as the Crusaders. Like the ball just flows through the Crusaders back line, no matter who it's going to, it just, it just gets caught and shifted again. It's really fluid and smooth. And, and then you see the blues and um, you know, everyone's just that, that slightly, less skilled or less precise. The ball's going slightly behind a run. He has, he has to hold up. That then staggers the line a bit. Um, there's fewer options because people have overrun because, the uh, well, not not their fault, but the, the pass hasn't led to a smooth um, backline movement and it just becomes more jagged and disjointed and the Crusaders prey on that. So um, it just means they don't make the gain line as often. You, you don't get to put your man through the hole as often um, you know, you're not you're not really able to outflank them because the ball's transitions are just so much um, delayed compared to what they could be, um, and and it just you know the Crusaders just latch onto that. They start looking for players under pressure. They rush up and they and they put the hit on and they force errors. And if if you know the Blues can still do that back, but the Crusaders just give you fewer opportunities because they're so clinical. Um, and it's just really, it's just a, you know, it's an 80 minute grind and, and they just put the points on. The thing is though, that the Blues did have the opportunity in this game. Like Akira Ioane off the bench was really good in terms of creating breaks. I think that guy has to be starting for them. Like Satutu and Papali both were really strong in terms of the forwards. Like the Blues... And I mean, it doesn't help that they're switching around their back line quite a bit lately. Like they've started Plummer this week, um, or Terry Black on the bench. They had the first start for um, Talea, Taniela Talea at 12 over sort of someone like TJ Fayani or Plummer earlier in the year. And they still continue to persist with someone like Jonathan Ruru at nine. When I just don't know if he has quite the same um, attacking prowess. Like he's a good defender. He's a big guy, but Finlay Christie potentially, even like Sam Nock earlier in the year. Sam Nock's good. I think he, Jonathan he, has, Ruru. he plays quite a good like kicking and possession game and territory game. So yeah, he yeah. seems like a smart player. I think Ruru is a little bit just erratic. Like he has moments of brilliance, like we saw the week before. But I think he just has a tendency to make crucial errors. Um, he's a bit reckless, and yeah, I just don't understand why the Blues have so much rotation. They're not in a position to do this. You know, we thought they'd found a number 10, you know, Terry Black. And I think Bowden Barrett, obviously, not being in the picture this year has meant that that's even more important to have someone consistently there at 10. And now they're back to 
you know, is it Perifetto? Is it Plummer? Is it Terry Black? Who's the main man here? But back to a situation from two years ago when we don't know the answer to that question. Yeah, it's not a good sort of look. And now it all comes down to a, a must-win game at Eden Park and it has to be a big win. And it just doesn't look like they're, they're in a place to convert sort of some of these opportunities as opposed to the Crusaders where they sort of brought back sort of more of their stalwarts in terms of Whitelock being back. Um, Scotty Barrett went back to the second row with him. Um, Cody Talley back to starting and these guys just performing. And then, God, like, Will, like, the epitome was just, like, Will Jordan, like, that first try where he just cut through, like, six or seven players on the Blues. And you're just like, well, it pretty much epitomises where these two teams are at. Like, one team is just going to be able to run through everyone the other team's I don't know, is it a belief thing? Have they lost a little bit of belief maybe that they had last year? The the Blues or the Crusaders? The Blues. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's really hard to pinpoint exactly what's gone wrong, but the team just doesn't have... They haven't seemed settled at any time during the season. And they... Yeah, I just think that they haven't had that kind of cohesion that I think they had last year. And Crusaders, like we said, they'd have, they'd had a reaction... And now I think, again, they're back to being pretty clear favourites for this this final. Yeah, I agree. Like the, the, the success the Blues haven't had beyond the first couple of games means they've gone into a bit of a rotation seeking what's their strongest combination. It hasn't allowed people to settle. You don't have kind of clear focal points in your attack who, can, who have stepped up and, and dominated games in sort of a McKenzie or, or, or Geordie type, type fashion. So... Uh, they're just they're just not rolling with momentum, and some days they look great. Other days it just doesn't really come off, and it's not going to be good enough um, against the Crusaders. And you know whether it's good enough against the Chiefs. I think if they if they if they just pull out you know all their big guns, all their trick plays, and just try everything, you know maybe it all comes off and they beat the Chiefs. But they've still got to shut down the Damian McKenzies. You know, bring Gatlin look good on the weekend. Um, so they've got two generals there to, to contain and, and the guys around them. Um, but I don't think it really matters if the Blues got through to the final against the Crusaders. I, I think they'd still be too big a step behind. And the Chiefs, for that matter, probably are as well. You do remember a week ago when the Chiefs beat the Crusaders, though, right? Yeah, but I think almost that the narrative's changed again with these injuries. I think the Chiefs have done remarkably well this year, but I'm not sure it's going to be... They're not going to be healthy enough maybe to challenge the Crusaders at full strength. Before we go back to Australia, let's just talk about this weekend. Um, so we have the Hurricanes hosting the Highlanders and the Blues hosting the Chiefs. So the Hurricanes obviously searching for a second win. It almost makes me think that this this competition needs a second versus third like what Australia does because if you had that, you would have this really interesting thing where the Blues... Um, need to win to hold off the Highlanders who could potentially win their way in with this sort of strong second half of the season and make a run at sort of a title. And that's almost a more exciting storyline to see what either the Highlanders or Chiefs could do um, to try and go up against the Crusaders um, versus a Blues team that doesn't sound like it has much of a chance. But Hurricanes-Highlanders, first off, what do you reckon in Wellington? This one, to me, is curious because... We said the Hurricanes have won one game this season, and that was when they beat the Highlanders at home. So now they've got the Highlanders coming to them, their home, uh, and and you'd think, you know, oh, they're they're a good shot, but 
they're a one-win team. The, Ho- the Highlanders are a three-win team. They've bagged a win against the other three teams in the New Zealand comp, but not yet the Hurricanes. So, like, I'm tempted to go for the Hurricane, sorry, the Highlanders, because it feels like they're a stronger side. Um, but is it something about the Hurricanes that they haven't they haven't quite um, got to they haven't quite got what they need to beat that team? I think I think the Highlanders maybe without um the without the halfback or they've got Aaron Smith obviously starting again. Yeah, but no Falau fucking blonde mullet. Yeah, but but none of like he was really like just he was really impressive in the early parts of the season. He he broke open a, a, a fair few opportunities for that side. I um I wonder if Aaron Smith maybe maybe that mixture of um, experience but the less kind of dynamic explosiveness uh, in the combination isn't there. And, and the Hurricanes just put this one away at home with a, a pretty close score. I think the Canes, they lack direction with their playmaking. They don't have someone that's really settled there at number 10. I think, is it Ruben Love? You know, he's okay at times, but I think he's got a long way to go at super rugby level. Just, yeah. And just fresh. Yeah. He's still just fresh. And, there's a lot of quality throughout this Hurricanes team and it actually does give me faith they can get a win in this fixture, but they're just still quite an erratic team and they're, yeah, you just don't know what you're going to get week to week. I think the Highlanders, I have more faith in their coaching set up with Tony Brown at the helm. I think he can almost take a team with less stars in it, obviously like the Highlanders are kind of known for and really bring it together. Um, Whereas the Hurricanes seem to have a lot of talent. You know, Dane Coles is there. You've got Karifi is a good player. Mal Marpi, Barrett, Ray Arcee. I think all these sort of players, it's almost like the Blues. They're almost less than the sum of their parts, which is not a good thing. And I think they're quite inexperienced at the moment, which, um, you know, makes me think, look, this is a bit of a flip of the coin match. I think the Highlanders, probably the more mature team. What do you take? Do you think these superstars for the Canes kind of break the game open? It it comes down to sort of the spine of the team, I think. And you look at what the Hurricanes have, and yeah, they have, as you say, Coles there. But then sort of their like eight, nine, ten is what is it's like Princep, like Campbell, Love, and then yeah, it's just it's like that's too big of a sort of hill to climb, I think. And then you look at like what the Highlanders are bringing that same sort of spine. Ash Dixon there. You'll Experience. probably have him and O, Aaron Smith, and then Mitch Hunt as your sort of 8, mm. 9, 10. And then you might have Joshuani um, at 15, or you have um, potentially Garden Basher coming into Connor Garden Basher coming there. And that just seems like a stronger sort of direction that that team can take. And you, you almost don't need. Um, the big names when you have sort of those people directing your field, your team around the park and you play together. I just think they're the smarter team, to be honest, yeah. the Highlanders. And I think that's almost could be in the difference in this one. I think they'll just play smart football and outplay the, the Hurricanes. They won't try and expose themselves. You know, if they have to play without the ball, they'll do that and they'll play territory. Um, they'll do what's needed. I think that goes back to your point, Arch. It would be really good if there was a playoff between second and third. I thought they would have corrected this in the New Zealand competition last year. I think the way the Australian competition is running, it's, it's a more exciting proposition. 
So if the Hurricanes lose, that makes them a one-win team for their season. How many Australian teams do you think can beat them? Assuming, assuming I don't, I can't remember what the schedule is for the Trans Tasman, but do we think three or four Australian teams might be able to get a win? I think three. I think, I think at least two. I don't know. I'm, I'm Rebels. I almost think they're the Rebels are like the Hurricanes with less star power. It's just like. Do I think the Force and Rebels can beat them? I think the Rebels could beat the Hurricanes with the right With their physicality. um, Yeah, maybe three. I don't think the Hurricanes are that bad, though. I think the the Waratahs versus the Hurricanes, you know, one win versus no wins, I think the Waratahs would get pumped by the Canes. Uh, I I sort of think the same, but I think if, again, can't remember the schedule... If the rebels or the, well, the Waratahs the have force. the Canes first up, okay, but at home or so away can, in Sydney, well, Waratahs, yeah, in Sydney, yeah, okay. Well, I mean that's that's to their advantage, I guess. It gives them a chance. But if the Force and the and the Rebels got to play the Hurricanes at in Australia at home, um, I would give them a fighting chance. I think the Brumbies and the Reds are of the quality that could beat them regardless. Well, I'd hope I think- so. Yeah, I think the Brumbies Reds are right up there with the level of, say, the Chiefs, I think. Crusaders, I think, They're are still... There. I think a healthy Chiefs team is on par with the Brumbies and Reds team. But at the moment, probably the Reds and Brumbies would beat them in their current state. I think still the Crusaders are, you know, they're the top of the tree. They still had their stumbles, though. Like, yeah. Obviously, they have their weeks on, week off sort of at the moment. And that's what's the rotation. The doesn't help, but yeah. I mean, yeah, but this was the same backline this weekend as the week before. And mm, the week before right. it was, they were dropping passes, passes going behind. So what about that Blues-Chiefs game? Are, are we going to be in a position where a bunch of us are tipping the two away teams in the New Zealand competition again? Blues are hosting Chiefs? Yep. Yeah. I'm almost tempted to tip the blues i think narrowly very narrowly the blues with nothing to lose and everything to gain you know i don't think and, there's enough they pressure start there. Akiri, and just just go yeah. for it like there's a fair bit start. of quality there if they can just switch on um but will they yeah I don't know, it's gonna be a tough one that's like i think it'll probably end up being a blowout one way or the other and i'll end up tipping it close and getting it wrong do we know about Papali? Is he okay or is he in doubt? Because he didn't look good when he yeah, was yeah, he was a sore knee. But I haven't yeah. heard. We haven't heard anything more, and I still don't know whether Tui Pilot is close enough to potentially make her. Yeah, is that a medical term? A sore knee. Yeah, that is the technique. Keep it general. <laughs> yeah, Blues can have a really rock and roll forward pack if they get everyone out there, like really elite level stuff. But they just haven't well, done that. Yeah, that's it. They have, they have, again, have been on the back end of some bad injuries um, that has sort mm. of hurt them this season as well. And it's the belief in the Chiefs. Like, the, they just have that belief that they can win from wherever position they're placed in a game. And the coaching panel is doing a good job. It's whether it's going to be too tough. I think they'll still well, make the finals. It's whether you finally see an off game from McKenzie. He had a few more Yeah, that could be the year. difference, right? And that he's be been obviously been just on fire sort of earlier, but that would be the only thing. Let's go back and talk about 
the Force and the Reds in Perth on Friday night. And what? No one saw this coming. Um, starting sort of early on with some big hits from on between the 13s of this game, but it wasn't the way you'd expect with Paisami getting copping the worst of first a tip tackle and then a huge hit by the T train, Kurundrani, absolutely melting Hunter. Like he melted Tamua earlier this year and Hunter leaving um, the field and then the force just stayed stayed the course. They stayed strong. They stayed consistent. Oliver Feller, standout game from the young Englishman. He's, he's taking his play to another level this week. Um, gets his hat-trick. Um, I think the first hat-trick for the force in many, many years. Um, Surely since Honey Badger. I think it was since Honey Badger. Yeah, yeah. I think it is. But yeah, and despite a few sort of cards in this game, three yellow cards to the um, to the force, they still managed to win it, thirty to twenty-seven. Yeah, this was another game which uh, I think I think the Reds weren't just weren't on and really kept that that helped keep the force in it. But the force really brought everything to bear, and Damon Murphy just had way too much influence throughout. Unfortunately. Um, yeah, for those who saw the game, you know, surprised all the way through. The Reds didn't quite break out and put points down, and then the the Force were taking intercepts and taking opportunities left, right, and center. So it it was remained balanced. The the thing that absolutely baffles me is that given two minutes left in the game, they got a penalty, took a scrum, thought that was risky. Then they got another penalty and took another scrum with I think forty five or fifty seconds left on the clock, and then they buggered that up. And, and didn't have the ball anymore when they could have easily kicked a penalty, sent it to super time and, you know, given themselves a chance to just do it in open play. So just for a team that's been so uh, on point with their decision-making, they've, they've kept in big games against the Brumbies by chipping away, you know, taking the, the point opportunities and then pushing for tries later on and just, you know, they couldn't fault their decision-making in that sense to make that sort of, basic error not to tie the game up at the death it just blows my mind so uh, i don't know if that's a product of having liam Wright back in as captain and um you know trying to trying to just keep going with momentum and feeling like their their side was that much better they could do it their scrum wasn't doing that well at that late point of the game they'd been pushed around already um i guess hopefully that's a bit of a um, sort of a shake that they needed, a, a loss they had to have to to refocus for the finals because you, you're not always this invincible attacking giant. Like you, you will get pulled apart by someone at some point. Uh, you can't just assume you're going to be that dominant and and push everyone scrum around. So that that was just a really dumb tactical decision. I, I think they'll live to regret. Could have been a perfect season. Yeah, I think it's just a bit of overconfidence in that moment, thinking that they could. Yeah, win it from from anywhere from that scrum, and almost would it have been smarter to go to the corner, take the line out, and just back your mall instead of doing that, or just like you say, take the three and just back your team to outlast the force for another ten minutes or so. It takes the clock out of the game somewhat, um, and yeah, it was a little bit baffling. I think they just they're just so used to winning. They thought it was going to, it was just going to happen. They were just going to get it done, which is a good thing in itself. But 
I think the smarter play, like you say, Lee, would have been just to lock up, lock it up, and go to super time, and just back your quality um, in those really, really tough minutes. Um, but the force, I mean, amazing. I mean, what a story to be back in this competition for, you know, the second year, and really have come to a point where they're solidifying a story, you know, for, for themselves and for this competition, winning at home like that against the Reds, like doesn't really get much better. I think regardless of how they go against the Brumbies this coming week, that was huge for that organization. And so I think rugby almost won out in the end. I mean, we would have loved to see the Reds go undefeated. I mean, there's no guarantee of that happening anyway to the final, but you know, that's tough to do. And it really doesn't matter if the Reds end up getting the title you know, no one's going to remember this, but the force will and the fans will. And I think that's important for rugby in WA. And I think it was just a great story. It absolutely was. And Leah, you said it sort of earlier in the year with the Crusaders, it is hard to go undefeated and it shouldn't be an easy thing to happen in this tournament. And I think Brad Thorne said exactly what you said, Toby, that maybe they did need this as a little bit of a wake-up call because maybe things have been coming a bit too easily for him. Would it have been different if James O'Connor was captaining during this game as opposed to Liam Wright? I don't know. Leo, I almost thought you were about to call for maybe Liam Wright shouldn't be captain of this team. I think even though he hasn't been on the field, he's been a bit of a spiritual captain all season. I think he has the players' respect. Um, And in that situation, I think earlier in the game as well, we saw... James O'Connor and Wright kind of consulting with each other. Um, if that was his call, just to back the forwards, looking at the season so far, on average, you'd think they'll they'll get it done. Just late in the game, it just didn't feel like they had that um, superiority, particularly in the scrum. So it just it just felt like the wrong call to me and proved to be the wrong call. But no, I don't, I don't think you take Liam Wright out of there. I think you you, you know he 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 maybe has been riding the sideline excitement and maybe that's part of why he thought, oh, we can do this because he hasn't been there in the tough moments. Maybe he wasn't sensing the fatigue in his team or or whatever. Like he's just been thinking, oh, we've done this every other game, but he wasn't, you know, in the moment I mean, with them. All it took, I mean, it's bravado by the Reds and all it really took, I mean, if the force weren't as in tune with one another and that collective effort to actually hold you know, get that more at the end there. They could have easily scored, but the force were just so switched on. Um, and Kahui, I mean, we've got to give Richard Kahui a lot of credit. That little kick through for Ola Fella was just, you know, touch of class. And yeah, it was just nice. I, I can't really sum it up enough. I just think that the force were, they're deserving enough in this game. They're not the better team, but they, they found a way. And I think that's just, yeah. It was just great to see. Yeah, and for them, that's a stretch target for this year for sure, right? They've they've won fifty percent of games. They've upset a big contender, and they've made finals. Like they they couldn't have um, really hoped. Like sets in terms of setting goals, that's that's probably the extent of what they would have hoped for. And now they've got sort of real um, belief that maybe they could do the same thing to the Brumbies. Maybe they could make it to the final. And then you're playing a team you just beat. I just so, think. It's so important for the next five years of Force Rugby as well with Twiggy Forrest. If he puts more money into this team, if this kind of affirms his commitment to this team, like 
They've spent quite a lot this year, but I think he could probably spend a little bit more. Um, they're going to get smarter with their recruiting. Players are going to want to go there because they're a decent side. They've got a good setup. Um, so I think next year they come out and they're just even better. And I think Arturoa is going to be interesting. Like we've talked about, I think they might find it a little bit tough, but I think for future years, this is really good signs for the force. So Kurandrani yellow carded in the first or second minute um, on further review was said that it should be a red card offence um, post game. And it's now uh, has a three week ban. Is it Kahui that you just slop straight into outside center for them? It's a good question. You know, Godwin, do you move him out to 13? Do you bring someone like John O'Lance in to 12 who hasn't been on the radar whatsoever? Um, you know, we've seen Brucky at 13. Not sure that's a good position for him. Who's just someone you want on the field? It's whether he can play 80 minutes every week, like we've alluded to before. I almost think he can. Like, you know, seeing him with his shirt off, singing the team song, I'm like, that guy's in great condition. I don't think he's going to struggle too much during the minutes, but it's whether it leads to an injury or something rather than is he actually up to it week to week. Um, but I think he's just, his decision-making is elite. I think in combination with someone like Godwin, it's great. Um, Miotti's done enough. He's a bit of a distributor. He's not really too creative, but... You're going to probably think, you know, Cabelli, Miotti, Godwin, maybe then Kahui. It's pretty solid. Yeah, that's the way I see it turning out. Like, Kahui's had that many moments this season where there's been a deft kick, uh, a good pass, a big tackle, um, great support play. Like, he's just, he's been there for them. He's one of those guys that's really carrying the, the the sort of heart of the force uh, and the way he plays, I think he's deserving. He should be getting a run on start, and I, I think he's I think he has had a few games where he's played it out. Um, and you know, this is a final, yeah, yeah. so I'm sure he can find the the fuel to to play through if they don't feel like they have a strong enough option to to take him off late in the game. We'll get to the um, final in just a little bit, but before we get there. Two teams playing at Bankwest on Saturday night finish their season. Obviously, the Tars going down to the Rebels, 36 to 25. Two red cards to the Rebels plus a yellow card wasn't enough to let the get the Waratahs into a winning position in this game. Um, both Izzy Nasirani and Pomo Fatmasili will miss time, which probably will impact them into the Trans-Tasman tournament as well. Final grades for these teams for the year? Pretty pretty disappointing for me for the Waratahs. That's the the recent Waratah kind of spruker thinking that there were there were signs of life and some good efforts game to uh, week to week in some of these games. This this game I think they probably dropped off a bit, um, even with all that advantage gained from the cards. So a bit disappointing. Uh, unfortunately the they're really on the ropes. They're, they're going to have to find something to play for in this trans-Tasman comp, just trying to upset uh, the opposition teams and, and be spoilers. I think they're, you know, the Warwick Tars probably don't deserve much more than like a three out of 10. There's been few signs of, of quality there, unfortunately, somewhat hampered by injuries and, and 
um, suspensions to uh, Gordon and Parisi respectively. But yeah, I think mean, they've been just generally just generally poor and, and really didn't finish on a on a high note this year. Mm. I mean, they're relatively healthy now, and I think we have seen improvement. But what's that improvement really going to look like against these Kiwi teams? I think it's going to be super tough for them. It's probably a good thing they have the Canes first up in a position where they're a little bit vulnerable as well, particularly away from home. But the Waratahs really do have to like improve dramatically in the next five or six weeks to actually get a win on the board. Otherwise, historically, they're going to be the worst Waratahs team in the professional era on paper. You know, whether that's fair or not, a lot of things have gone against them. But you could also say that, you know, they played in a Super Rugby AU competition where the competition may actually be less um, difficult than, you know, your traditional round-robin Super Rugby tournament. Um, so, yeah, they've got a lot, to, a lot of work to do. I think there's good signs there, but, yeah, you, you, you couldn't really give them, you know, much, much more than, you know, a two or three out of ten, I would say, in terms of a, a mark. But, yeah, as a fan, you just have to keep the faith and keep supporting. Does Parisi get an invite to Wallaby's camp later in the year? Yes. Hard yes. Depends on depends on um who who else you think's making it, but I don't I think mean, it depends on anything. I think he's been he's been great. Like cool. he could as as a winger or a center, the way he's carried the ball and just the kind of touches he's shown, the the decision making and everything, I think. He's almost playing at a higher level than he ever played like at the Reds. I just think his game he looks so determined. He's, he's playing very differently to how he would have played at the Reds when he was on the wing and just yeah, scorching definitely. people. So but the, and that's good. Like I think he's he's earned to be in There's this discussion. Yeah. It's it's just like uh, if if we could rule out um Hodge because he's because of his injury and um the, the, the usual incumbents who I think just get picked for you know it, it's just having the right balance of experience um, and and youth and and rookies. I guess I think uh, I think he's definitely earned earned the right to be in the conversation. And if the guys like Patea are now considered wingers and Hodges out, and then there's absolutely a spot for him. But I do wonder if the incumbents will just take their usual spots. Not not that that's necessarily the right right thing, but I think he probably doesn't get brought in, but he certainly deserves to be in the conversation. Right now on current form, would you prefer to have Parise or Patea in your team? In my Depends team? On the position. Yeah, if it's an outside centre, it's Parise. probably Parisi. He's a winger. As a winger? I think Patea's picked up his game as well yeah, in the last I think Patea, two I like Patea so. on the wing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If Patea doesn't chuck the ball over the sideline or offload to people's chins, he's really not doing that much wrong. He's really elite there's, in the air. The interesting thing, there's not like 13s for the Wallabies. You know, you've got TK. If you rule him out, then really you're relying on Hunter Paisami or Ikitao. So there's not a whole lot of depth there. So I think Parise is the next best option. At, a, at such a specialized position, yeah. Well, which I didn't think he was ready for. Or Hodge in those positions, which Hodge I think no. 
definitively no. probably not, but potato. Hodge can play 12, but I don't think he's a 13. And I, look, he's a fullback. Not, you know, he's not great unless he's to been have. on the end of a, a backline play where he's just been the winger at the time. Just saying, like, he he is a fullback. I think that's his position. I think we've got to stop using him so much as a utility, even though it is very tempting to do so. The fact that he's injured, I think, helps the Wallabies get more clarity around that point. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I just think at 13, we, we're not blessed with a lot of depth at the moment. Unless you're going to really go back to someone like TK as your backup. You know, Ikitao, I think, he's tapered off. His form has tapered off a little bit. Um, as Parise has had his opportunity to play and his form has gone through the roof. So to whether he can continue that on, you know, in this trans competition, I think if he can, Rennie's really going to pay attention. That's the thing. And we're going to get a completely another shift. Like we've had that first half of the season where some players were rising and then maybe they've dropped a little bit and other players sort of coming up. And we have another sort of five games here. Um, potentially six for some of these teams to to really look at some who's actually on the rise. Tamu has come out um, just a couple of days ago, sort of urging the Rebels Association not to let Wessels go yet, um, to try and come out and say that he does have the support of the entire team, despite a sort of disappointing season um, from the Rebels' part. Didn't they say they were going to back him? He He spoke with the... The CEO they said or the that owner he's, he's going to stay in for the Trans Tasman Cup yeah. to comp, um, yeah. definitely. And he's come out and said that he believes the Rebels can win that comp, which I think is probably a, not a smart thing to <laughs> say. I mean, anyone can win it, but you know, the, the likelihood of that happening is very low. It's, it's just another, um, it's manage expectations, man. The yeah, one, that's not managing expectations at all. The one, the one thing that I you know, appreciated with Vessels talking to the commentary team after the game. And I, I don't know if he was trying to make excuses for the, some of the performances, but he went into, you know, some details of how they prepare, like they can't train back-to-back days or something, their facilities, they've got to drive 30, 40 minutes to even use weights room. Like there are all these kind of list of things that he thinks are working against them as an organization. And you could look at that and say, well, yeah, he's making excuses for the performances, but you know, realistically, maybe he's, you know, he's sending a message to the management saying, look, we need to have better facilities in Melbourne that we can use close to home. And we don't actually have to make, um, you know, we don't have to actually change the way we'd normally do things because we don't have the facilities in place. So maybe he's sending a message to the owner saying, look, you need to up your game if you want these results because we're kind of battling against it. You know, you saw what they went through last year. Hasn't been the case this year in terms of COVID, but, you know, they've had a few things go against them, which I probably in some ways failed to appreciate, but I still don't think that the results have been good enough. Yeah, I, like even with some of the hardship, like they're not the only team that's had challenges, that's had, um, you know, plans changed midweek and had to improvise. And, you know, for something, for no team has it been seamless, but for them, it's just, it, to me, it comes back to, what are they doing on the field that's sort of innovative and exciting and, and, you know, looks like, you know, they're bringing a game plan that's going to beat the opposition. They just show up, they play with real high intensity that first 20, 25 minutes. And most games that hasn't been enough to blow a team off the park because they weren't scoring tries. And then they just look like they're out of ideas. And 
they're not all linking that well. And, and you know, your, your general in Tamua isn't playing that well either. And I don't think you can just blame it all on, I don't, I don't think Wessels gets to blame that on, you know, their, their circumstances year to year. Like you'd see some signs of the style of game and, and the, the tactics and execution at some point if it existed. And I just haven't seen anything to suggest that what he's bringing is a, is a competition winning strategy for against the, the tough opposition that's the Brumbies and the Reds. And they just keep playing to the level of their opposition. Sometimes they're in it and a lot of times they just look bad. So, I mean, I just, fair enough, leave him behind. Sorry. Uh, no, I was just saying, like, can we, can we kind of explain even some of the selections on the weekend in terms of Kemeny, Hardwick on the bench, Pharmacilia? Yeah, the bench. It's, like, it's, it's a very well, hard thing kind of, to that's explain, a, like... And that Richard was before Hardwick has been your primary turnover machine. Yeah, you and he came over and did Kemeny's it. been named in the Wallabies interest squad. You put him on the bench. So where does that come from? Like the game is still and this live was, when and those this was, were yeah, made. And this was made when they were trying to get into finals, right? I, I don't really see it. I don't see how that would have worked if if the game was a little closer. I mean, bringing them late, yes, you get that impact, but you're losing their minutes. And these guys have been playing, a lot of them have been playing 80 minutes. But if that's the coaching brilliance, it's like, oh, I'm going to spread some of my starters out so to make sure we're strong through 80 minutes. Like, I mean, that's that's not not a whole lot to to gamble on really, is it? Like, you're right. You're just capping the number of minutes that the amount of impact these guys can have on the game. So I don't think there's any point in getting rid of him now because not knowing what the coaching market's like, but... You're not going to bring anyone in to I mean, to do anything through the next five weeks. The thing well, that's is, what though, I've said. The thing is, though, I can see, I can see some of the way that they play having success in some of these games um, in the Trans Tasman Cup. Like they have really solid defence most of the time, um, and they're able to accumulate points, even though it is through penalties. I feel like they could they could take wins over teams like the Hurricanes, potentially over teams like the Highlanders and potentially even the Blues if they don't sort of improve their standing. I feel like they could take a couple yeah. of wins over these teams. Like, I don't think they go pretty. winless. It's not yeah. going to be entertaining, but they could. I don't think they go winless, and I think you're right. That style can potentially just suffocate those teams and make them it's get It's like England from unruly. like five, six years ago. Yeah, but when it doesn't work after 20 minutes and those teams have actually broken through and scored a couple of tries, there is no plan B. They, they don't resort to anything coherent. They just start throwing those long passes and, you know, I just don't know where they go to from there. And I think if they had a whole range of, of options and, and counter-attacking measures they could take, we would have seen some of that this year. And it just feels like they just try and slog it out and, hang on for dear life and yeah they may they may nip a win or two but i think that's probably their ceiling and i don't think that should be enough to keep wessels around let's um let's leave it there and talk about the semi-finals next weekend brumbies hosting the force at gio um what are you boys expecting for this because we saw a brumbies team that sort of had some sort of falters in the last couple of weeks i mean they they won sort of down in Melbourne with a reasonably clinical performance, things were a little bit shakier um, when they went down to the Reds and then they had sort of a close win 
um, over the Tars before that. Do you think the forces gained enough momentum that their their situation is um, gaining enough chemistry? Because it seems like they they are improving every week. And if people like Jeremy Thrush and Sidalaki Tamani continue to stand the stand up, and like Kai Tuu on the weekend was immense as well. I think the force. Do you think the forces lineout might be the best in the competition? Can it challenge the Brumbies? Well, it dominated the Reds on the weekend, but I feel like that was a lot of them closing the gap pretty viciously and it not being pulled up by Murphy, which the Reds, again, the Reds should have been speaking up on that. But you'd say, yeah, I mean, if that if that's one of their tactics and they're, and they're making hay out of it, um, if no one pulls it up this this weekend, then for sure it's, it's going to be a big factor. Those guys in the engine room have been huge. They've been creating a platform for, for the backs and for the attack and, like we said, Miotti hasn't had to be too exceptional. He's just had to manage and distribute, and and points have come. Um, they've got a few, they've got a few sneaky moves up their sleeve. Got things like you know suddenly holding guys up at the last moment, winning those mall turnovers. Um, their defensive malls have been really strong too. So lineouts when the Brumbies are facing up on the line, trying to push over the the force have actually been reasonably disciplined um, and 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 fought their way through the middle and and disrupted that that of attacking tactics. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of ways the force could stay in this game. And if the Brumbies aren't on form and make a few bad decisions like the Reds did, I can see the same sort of thing happening for sure. Um, but I think maybe to the Brumbies benefit, there's a lot of lessons and a lot of things they can look at from that Reds game to understand how the force are staying competitive and I think those tactics will probably be neutralised pretty effectively by the Brumbies. I think they're a smart team and they'll cotton on to the forces, little tactics like that. Yeah, I'm probably a little more bullish on the Brumbies and how they'll perform. I think they haven't played particularly well in the last, say, three games or two games that they played. Um, and, yeah, I just think they're waiting to have, again, that kind of breakout performance back to full form. And maybe that's going to take for them to get a lot of their kind of key players in the fours back, you know, if Pete Samu's there. Um, be interesting who starts at seven, whether you say you start Will Miller. I think Valentini's been huge. Um, but overall, I think if, if they've got some of those key guys back, um, yeah, I think they can do real damage here. I think the fours probably have had that performance on, on the weekend was so big for them and so important. And I think emotionally that is such a lot of energy that you expend in that. Um, you know, I think they'll be right up for this game, but I think the quality of the Brumbies will shine through here. And so I think you're going to see the same final again as last year. Um, and hopefully, you know, a Brumbies team that's going into that final in real form. So we're going to see some fireworks because I think Dan McKell will be right on to their, their case, knowing that they haven't performed to the level that they're expected to. Um, so in my opinion, I think the Brumbies will have quite a strong performance in this one. And I think they'll be, they'll be scoring quite a few points. So I don't think the force will be able to keep up. Um, but yeah, that, that would be my take. And I, I just think the Brumbies will be too strong. The last few Brumbies games maybe haven't been as critical. Like once the table kind of was settling into place and it was pretty obvious the Brumbies were going to be one or two. I can I can see a little bit of complacency developing and 
Um, they really stood up for the Reds games, and in maybe in the other games they weren't quite as weren't quite as clinical. So when when now it's you know it's really down to um, do or die. I think, like you said, they'll really step it up and they'll have prepared well. And I think if if I'm honest, I think maybe they were almost the better team in that last Reds game at Suncorp. Um, they just didn't get the win, and so I think there's. There's a real fine margin between the Reds and the Brummies at their full potential. Um, and that's why I just think the force have done so well with what they've been given in such a short amount of time to come together like that. I think that's almost unprecedented, but the Brummies just have those building blocks in place. I think they have their systems in place at home. You know, I think we're going to see Fortress GIO and I think it's going to be a good performance from them. So Brumbies, are you tipping a bit of a blowout, sort of back to form, or do you think that it still still remains close? I'd say Brumbies, twelve points, fourteen points, something like that. So pretty convincing. Um, pretty convincing. I, you know, maybe they run away with it with a try or two at the end. I don't think. I think the force will really bring it in the first twenty minutes or so. But I think just. All it takes is a couple of tries with the Brumbies there. If they get a lead, it's very, very hard to chase them down. And I know the force did it, obviously. You know, they've done it before. But, I, yeah, I just think that the Brumbies will come out with that dominance and really assert themselves on this game. Yeah, I agree. 14 points is what I had in my head. This is, this is a pretty healthy Brumbies team as well. Um, they've got pretty much, you know, bar one or two positions, they've pretty much got their first pick across the park now and, looks to be carrying too many niggles and they've had a week to freshen up. So I think while it might stay, you know, a try or so 10, like seven to 10 for a lot of the game, I think by the end of the game, it's a clear two tries and, you know, forces had a big week, a lot of excitement, a lot of adrenaline. It's always hard to measure up again after that and traveling. So yeah. Uh, and the lockdown. Yeah. There's a lot of factors. Yeah. I, they'll, they'll definitely be up for the game, um, but it might just be the, you know the the fatigue in the bones kind of thing. It's been quite a quite an exciting season for them. They've had some real success, and um, you know, like the Reds in previous years, they'll just probably hit that ceiling and maybe not have too much more in this little bit of the competition. I would expect. Other news from around the weekend, um, and we have to give a bit of a shout out to the Penrith Emus in the Shoot Shield, um, who had a win over the two blues, um, West Sydney two blues. Um, you talk about a losing streak for the Chiefs at the start of the year or for the Waratahs. This is a team that has not won a game in 2,471 days. That's right, seven years of pain for the Penrith Emus. Um, they were dumped from the Shield competition halfway through sort of 2018 and they came back last year but still couldn't, couldn't find a victory until... Uh, they won on the weekend, eleven to seven, um, and hopefully this is a sign of some um, improvements to come out of Western Sydney and maybe a bit of a recapture. Because one of the other things that we've seen from this season is the ratings released out of um, Stan and for the rugby and the massive increase in interest as well as um, viewership of rugby. So maybe there's a bit of a result and a bit of a time for rugby union to take a little bit of a step back against rugby league um, in Australia. I just think showing like shoot shield, all the games, even if, you know, there's not a huge amount of people tuning in live for those, you can catch up whenever you want. 
um, just having the freedom to actually do that is incredible. And I think the Shoot Shield and in Queensland, obviously the, the couple competition up there, I think, you know, there's been a real community around that for the last five, 10 years. Um, and even where maybe some support for the Wallabies and Waratahs and super rugby teams have waned a bit. I think those club competitions have remained strong and got stronger. And I think that having that kind of exposure through Stan, um, it will only build upon that. You know, I think it's going to, you know, people get down to the games. There's big, big crowds that actually turn up. I think it just really, you know, it really shows the heart of what rugby can be and what rugby is really. Um, and that's what we need to kind of push up towards back to the Waratahs and through to the Wallabies again. They're definitely self-supporting. Like if, you, if you're a diehard Penrith Emus fan and you go to the home games when you can and then you can also watch them when you can't get there, well, that's just, if you've got into that subscription, you're probably going to start watching some Waratahs games or maybe some other super games as well. And equally, you might you know, remember, oh, you know, I feel a bit attached to East. I might watch an East game on stand this weekend, can't make it there, but see how, the, see how they're going and it'll feed back down as well. So just, just making it available, it's the first step and I th- I'm sure they'll see an increase in ratings in both, especially when they're doing such a good job in the super commentary. I think the analysis and the, and the teams and the, um, yeah, the commentary group kind of vibe is, is really good. It's just, it's just fresh and it, we've only got a couple of old uh, dusty bones in there yeah. talking about you know, the same generalities that they've always done. You've got some nice fresh views on things. It's really good. And I think, you know, if there, there is that real success and support through that club system, I don't think that we really need an NRC. I think that that structure is probably now it's going to be gone. I think, I don't think it's, it's something that's as sustainable. Um, I think, you know, whether that extends to, I don't know what WA rugby, I don't know what the competition over there is like or in, in Melbourne, how kind of formed that is. But New South Wales and Queensland has that history. It has a lot of rivalries and people actually care about it. So I think the quality of players coming through those systems, you know, it would have been Queensland country or something before. It can be brothers or uni or, or whatever that can still have that foundation there. Yeah, and I think... Yeah, you'd almost be more interested in seeing like a champion sort of cup or something coming out with the top couple of teams out of each competition um, coming together maybe at the end. Yeah, because um, they did the final, didn't they? They do they do the they winner did. of each competition, but it's that's it's a I one and done. Delayed and it was yeah, not, yeah. not quite at the right time. Speaking of stuff that's on stand and the Rainbow Cups um, kicked off over the weekend as well. Um, this is the pro. 14 sort of attempted a tournament style system to go on as well. Interestingly, they've adopted a number of the same changes that uh, Super Rugby has adopted with Captain's Challenge coming in, the goal line dropouts, um, the 20 minutes sent off for red cards. So those rules seem to be um, expanding throughout um, not only the Southern Hemisphere, but the Northern Hemisphere as well couple of key results just to mention um munster got the wood back over leinster after losing the final game of last season um but they got this back 27 to 3 connacht versus ulster again these irish derbies always so strong and entertaining to watch 26 to 24 connacht won that benetton the italian club um that didn't get a regular season win at all last year got the win over glasgow um and edinburgh took down zebra uh, 24 to 18. 
Giltini's won again. They smashed them. Giltini's and actually, did you, see the, did you see the highlights? They actually look sick. I like, saw like one of their moves. It looks so like, good. Where they like stop it and they put it up like the old like rugby um, game, like choose your move. Oh no, it was like NFL. Oh really? Choose your play. And it was like Giltini special. Um, have, some of the attack is amazing. Yeah, it is good. And that's Darren Coleman and Hoylesey. Have to, we'll have to figure out where they're streaming it, Toby, because we could be watching that. Oh, it's um, on Giltini's on the weekend. I think it's 11 o'clock on Sunday or it's 1 o'clock on Sunday or something, Australian time. I think it's 11 so o'clock. Actually. It's, it's on the morning. rugby network, I think, or something. Yeah. So it's actually another streaming service that you would need to oh, subscribe to if you're not doing it legally. But, you know, it is available. I don't know. I don't think it's on KO or anything like that. But, Much yeah, it's good. I mean, the really. highlights... The highlights are actually pretty decent. I think Rugby Pass has started putting them up through YouTube so you can get like an eight-minute kind of highlights of a few of the MLR games. Um, but the Giltanis just, they just keep rolling. I mean, they're scoring like 40 points a week, so there's plenty to see. And, yeah, they just so many Australian guys featuring there that, yeah, it's just my fondness for that team is just growing. And the Toronto Arrows... Got a big win over New York, and they're now top of the Eastern Conference. Good work, boys. They're getting back to back to form. Setting up a big showdown, hopefully for with the Giltinis later in the season. That's probably all we need to cover today, boys. Um, obviously, massive weekend final round of Super Rugby Aotearoa and the semi-finals uh, of the Super Rugby AU on Saturday night. There, so lots to watch and get around some of the Shoot Shield or Rainbow Cup if you wanted something a bit more international. Find out and get onto some of that MLR as well. It's just top league, top league playoffs. Um, top league playoffs I think we're in the middle of that. To, to Goliath, keep running. Yeah, they keep going. That's it. So plenty, plenty to occupy you uh, this weekend as well. Um, make sure that you're checking out us. Everything extra that we have around on social media, um, Instagram, at Twitter, at Running Rugby Podcast, or at Running Rugby Pod. And make sure you keep listening, keep downloading. Love hearing from you boys. Tweet us out. Until next week, keep on running. Run. This is the parallel, then they only had the IPA. So does it go parallel IPA, double IPA is best? I think it's double XPA. Or XPA. Pirate Life had its time though, right? Kind of, isn't it? It's like we was in the spotlight. Now no one really talks about it. Uh, you're asking the wrong person. I don't get it. Yeah. I just remember everyone was all about it like two years ago or something. And then it's come off the ball maybe. Maybe it's just, yeah. It's like what Feral was like five years ago or six, seven years ago. Was that the was. IPA you were going to get? But it's funny, the kind of trends you go through around 2000, it was all about Carlton Cold and then it transferred to Ted's and then it went over to... um, Super Dry. Yeah, Super Dry was another one. Sorry. It was Pure Blonde and then... Oh, Ted's and Pure Blonde and then into Super Dry. And at the moment now, it's kind of into Furphy. Everyone's talking about Furphy. Which isn't very good. And Great Northern was there for a while too. So they have these like three years. surprisingly around quite a lot because it's mid-strength. So it's, it's, it's not often, very good though. It's just plain. It just doesn't taste like anything.
Yeah. They do have their times, these beers, where they're just like everyone's buying that certain beer and then it just changes. Mm -hmm. And some of them disappear. A fad beer.